Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. We are so glad you're with us. We are jumping into Colossians today. And um, let me start by just asking you guys a question. Who's a baseball fan in here? Raise your hand. Let me see. Oh, okay. Way more than the first service. Way to go. Um, I know most of you guys are like football fans. You're still bitter over the fact that Peacock was the only network that broadcasted the Chiefs and Dolphins game. So stick with me here. Um, so in a city of uh, football fans, um, I'd love to start with a Major League Baseball illustration. All right. So let me throw a picture up here. Let me know if you know who this is right here. Anybody, raise your hand if you know who that is. Okay, of course you do. Who else? Okay, a couple, couple of you guys, I think four or five. There's a kid back there raising your hand. You're adorable. Um, okay, let me throw up another picture. Let me know if you know this guy. Who knows who that is? Who is that? Jordan Montgomery. Jo- Jordan Montgomery. Hey, here's the hint. Same guys in both pictures. He just has a different jersey on. And because in the, you know, Baseball, Major League Baseball, you have what's called a trade deadline on August 1st. And the team you start with at the beginning of the year, you never know. You can walk insecurely that entire first half of the season because you never know if the team that you start with is the team you're going to finish with. But Jordan Montgomery became a Ranger on July 30th. And little did he know everything would change for him, not just the jersey that he was wearing. See, that jersey represented a couple things. It's probably the most visible thing you can see. But the things behind the jersey is, on the 30th, Jordan Montgomery's ownership changed. He went from working for one owner to a new owner of the Texas Rangers. Second thing that changed were his teammates. And so, um, brand new team starting after August 1st. So, you got to learn how to play with new people which is hard to do. Now, his position didn't change. He was a pitcher, but his standing changed. See, Jordan Montgomery was on the St. Louis Cardinals, and they were in dead last place in their division, which you might be like, who cares? When he went to bed, woke up one morning, he was a St. Louis Cardinal in last place, and when he went to bed that night, he was going to bed on a team that would win the World Series. Everything had changed for Jordan Montgomery I start with that because that's kind of where Paul starts. He starts with the letter by addressing the jersey change. And the jersey change that all of us have had, it's like the Church of Colossae, was they have a new jersey that they are wearing. And then that jersey is Christ. Now, look, we learned last week, as David Leventhal was teaching us an intro last week, that Epaphras was the servant who brought the gospel to the church of Colossae. He was a local. And so imagine what he knows about Colossae is that there were a lot of people there wearing a lot of different jerseys. There were people there that were uber religious and just lost like a ball in tall grass. He was there with pagans that didn't know their left from their right, that grew up worshiping Roman and Greek gods and craziness around the pagan world people who did not know one chapter of God's word. And this is who Epaphras is going to share the gospel with. Similar to us, like we've got people in here that grew up in 
uber-religious families that were lost, families in here that grew up with people and parents that knew the gospel, and people that were just lost. Welcome to the church of Colossae here. And so he is going to start talking about how the jersey you had is not the jersey you're wearing, and that jersey is Christ, all right? Let's jump in. Let's start in verse 3. Remember, just taking it out high level, we are talking about the all-sufficiency of Christ. He's enough. And if we read Colossians right, we're going to see him clearly. We are going to be included in him completely, and we are going to walk in him freely. You're going to see all three of those themes raise their head as we jump into about 10 verses this morning. And before we start reading, this passage is really easy. It starts with thanksgiving. Then it goes to prayer, then it ends with more Thanksgiving. So it's just a big, what's today's message about? It's a big Thanksgiving sandwich, okay? Here we go. Let's jump into verse three. It says this, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, Of this, you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it is doing among you. Since the day you heard it and understand, understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. So as we start off, the first thing you're going to see is that Paul is giving thanks for the love and the faith that he sees. Now, I think if if Paul was writing a similar letter to the church of City Bridge, that'd be a cool book in your New Testament, he would say similar things. And so let me just stop for a moment and just talk about where I've seen faith and love demonstrated in this body of Christ. Well, first of all, You just got to see faith and love and work when you walk by those parking guys out in the parking lot who are freezing their tail off. So remember, love is sacrificial. It is setting aside what you want for the benefit of other people. So we've got a a clear demonstration right outside as you walked in. We have had people invest time, energy around couples here in despair, people that have hit rock bottom here, countless stories. I could just probably tell you 10 over the last couple months. We have seen couples and individuals here, not just couples. We have seen people in this body release and open their hands with their resources. That could be everything from cars That could be places to live. Hey, I've got a place that I don't need for three months. Is there anybody here in need here? We hear about those all the time. We have families here that are all in on the adoption world, who are all in on the foster care world here. I've had two separate families over the last six weeks come to me and say, hey, if you have a family who is wanting to adopt, we don't want to adopt, but we'd love to help that family get to where they need to go. Friends, and story after story after story, we have a whole team here that drives out to Bridgeport. Anybody know where Bridgeport is here? It's far away. Yeah, maybe I'm not going to call on you and tell me where it is on the map. It is far away. There's a prison out there. And we have a whole team of men and women that drive out there and 
share the gospel with prisoners there, disciple prisoners. We have men and women in this body that drive out to that same prison every single week to lead region there. Friends, way to go. Way to get after it. Way to use your faith. Way to exercise it. Way to love those, not only in this body, but who are far off and over in Bridgeport. So thank you guys, way to go. It makes my role so easy to just see and celebrate. So that's where Paul's gonna start. He is gonna start by giving thanks to the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Okay, so where does that love and faith come from? Well, look at verse five here. And if you've got a Bible, I would underline the word because there. Your, your word, your um, translation might say arise from or sourced from or it springs from. And so here's, here's where Paul wants to draw our attention. It's not just about giving thanks for love and faith, but this love and faith comes from somewhere. Look at where it comes from. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And he goes on. He's going to now draw your attention to the gospel here. And we've got a slide up here just to kind of draw your eyes to the gospel. So the gospel, the hope laid up for you in heaven, that's the gospel of this. That's the gospel. You have heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard and understood the grace of God. See, Paul wants to ground your faith and your love in something deeper, a deeper well than just faith and love. It flows from the gospel. It flows from the gospel. I think I forgot to tell you what the first point was. The first point is just thank God for gospel fruit. Thank God for gospel fruit. Sorry, guys, in the back. That's on me. Um, the fruit flows from the gospel, faith, hope, and love. All right, so let's take a couple minutes, just a couple minutes, and just clarify, because basically this entire message today is rooted and grounded in the gospel. So let's just make sure the gospel's clear before we move on, all right? The most clear definition of the gospel is found in 1 um, Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, and it just says this, Jesus died for your sins according to the scripture, was buried, and was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. That is the most compact and simple um, definition of the, go the gospel. Hey, but today, Paul is going to focus on one part of the gospel, and that is called justification, which is just kind of a fancy world. All that means is telling you your legal status. And you're like, okay, what does legal status have to do with love or the gospel? Well, it has to do with this. You and I, remember Jesus died for our sins according to scripture. We are guilty of sin before a perfect and holy king, okay? And so we have a kind of like a criminal file, every one of us. And on that file, apart from Jesus, we should have a guilty stamp on there because we have sinned and fallen short. But it doesn't stop there. Justification is that the fact that Jesus died for your sins. So something actually happened when Jesus died he gives you his righteousness. He gives you his forgiveness. He gives you all of that. You don't do any of that. And one thing that happens with that criminal file you have, 
God takes a stamp, dips it in the blood of Jesus, and stamps over guilty to declared righteous. So as we dive in here to look at the gospel and what is producing all this fruit, Paul wants to be clear. We are talking about the gospel and justification here. And if you don't know that your file has been stamped, declared righteous, you won't produce the thing God, God wants you to produce, which is faith, hope, and love. All right, here we go. So let's continue to define the gospel. Number one, it is grounded in grace. Look at verse six. Since the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. So the first definition of the gospel is it's grounded in grace. Well, what's grace? Well, maybe the best definition we have of grace comes one book over called Ephesians. And Paul writes this, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift to God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. So what is grace? Grace is something you don't earn. It's given to you. What is justification? It's something given to you. Grace is unearned. It's not merited. It is something given to you by God. So grounded in grace. Second, it is grounded in God's work. We're going to try to stick as much as we can into Colossians as we define the gospel here. So here we go. Colossians 2 verses 13 and 14 here says this. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. So the gospel justification is not only grounded in grace, it's grounded in forgiveness of sins. That that file that said condemned, your criminal file, was taken to the cross and literally nailed to the cross. And friends, we have one more, but that is really good news. So look, I, I don't know what last night looked like for you or last week looked like for you, where you're like, man, I am walking in shame and guilt. And if anybody ever found this out, I would die. And let me tell you, your right standing and relationship with the Lord, that was nailed to the cross. Thank goodness we are saved by grace and grounded in grace, and it is completely grounded in God's work. Number three, it's grounded in reconciliation. Grounded in reconciliation. Let's go to the end of this chapter. Chapter one, verse 22 just says this. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh, as Jesus, by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. See, one of the primary goals of the gospel, the death of Jesus, is to reconcile you back with God himself. And God is love, 1 John 4 tells us. And so how does love and faith come out of the gospel? Well, you are now reconciled and in right relationship with the God of love. The gospel is grounded in grace, it's grounded in God's work, and it's grounded in reconciliation. That's really good news for us because all that is God's work. So let me say this another way. Let me say this a different way than what Paul would say. Whereas Paul is saying that love and faith is springing up out of the gospel, out of that new jersey you have on. Let me say it another way. If you have a love problem, you have a gospel problem. 
If you have a love problem, you have a gospel problem. And the reality is we all, we all have a gospel problem in our moments, in our bad moments. There's not a day that goes by where we focus completely on the right thing. Not an hour that goes by where we, are, we don't drift off of the gospel. Peter, Paul's buddy, says it like this. He says the exact same thing another way. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, here's what Paul says. Leading up to this, he's talking about brotherly affection. He's talking about love. He's talking about knowing the Lord. And this is what he says. If you don't have these things and increasing in these things, he says, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. See, Paul's not saying you're not wearing the right jersey, believer. You've got that jersey on and nobody can take that jersey off of you. What he's saying is you're not operating out of the truth of that jersey. So here's when we slip out of that. If you, if you got cut off this week on I-75 right here on Central and you got amped and things came out of you that maybe, you know, you wouldn't want your mother to hear, and that's a gospel problem. You've lost focus on the gospel. If you got amped at a kid last night, man, my eyes drifted from the gospel. If you're fixated on what your spouse, your roommate isn't doing, I mean, there's a good chance you have drifted from the gospel. We all do. We all do in those moments, and we've got to redirect ourselves to what is true. All right, so let me, let me bring you into my living room, which in the last 10 days was rough. And I'm the one that made it rough, okay? So let me, let me just bring you in on when I lost focus on the gospel. Um, if you are not in college or have kids in college or seniors, you won't know what this is. But let me throw up a website. Let me know. If you know what this is, let me know. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, man. Um. So here's the scene. Um, my son's a senior, and um, this thing was supposed to be rolled out in October, and one thing led to another, and next thing you know, it's after the first of the year. And um, in our sofa in our living room, I'm sitting here with my laptop on my lap, my wife's sitting here with laptop in her lap, and um, things are not going well as we are trying to apply for financial aid through the government. And... Um, what was coming out of me in this moment, I finally like got around to asking my wife for forgiveness for this, um, was self-righteousness, um, blame. Man, do you know how much work I put into this? Blah, blah, blah. And if you would have blah, 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 we could have saved 72 hours in this process. You know what I'm talking about because you're either that person, you live with that person. Okay, and we're, it's just not fun to be around. And I'm telling you, I, I was that way for two hours straight. I was on a bender. And the fruit of faith, hope, and love was not coming out of me. And um, I went to bed, lay down on my bed, still huffy, trying to figure out how the Lord is going to work all this out for my son with a 72-hour delay. And it just hit me. 
You're not operating. Faith and hope is not coming out of you right now. You don't think God may have something better in mind for your son because of the 72-hour delay? He probably does. That's how he works. He wants what's best. He's never trying to rip you off. Hey, and by the way, the way you're talking to your wife is all about you, not about her, and not about your son. Friends, in that moment on the sofa, I had just lost, I had taken my eyes off the gospel. And you did not want to be in the same house with me for a couple hours. And we all do that. We all have those moments where we take our eyes off the gospel in drift. And then if you do that this week, man, go ask, will you forgive me in the middle of all that? So why is Paul spending so much time talking about the gospel here? Well, if you remember what David Leventhal taught on last week, there's a couple, there's some bad theology that's kind of elevating its head in this church. And one of those is, has to do with asceticism, which if you don't know what that is, it's like imagine a monk that's living in a desert following all these ritual rules for enlightenment. And so in chapter 2, Paul is going to say this, starting in verse 18. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. 2.23, these have indeed the appearance of wisdom, and these look good, in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You see, if you are clear on the gospel and you're clear that faith, hope, and love springs out of the gospel, you don't need to go add on anything else in order to reach enlightenment or faith, hope, and love. That comes from the gospel. As we transition He's going to be looking at everybody at Colossae going, man, faith, hope, and love, way to go, way to go. That's rooted in the gospel. And as we transition to the second part here, the prayer, Paul is going to say something like he says in 1 Thessalonians 4. Hey, guys, you guys are killing it. Keep going. Let's excel still more. Let's go get more of this. Let's go. Here we go. Starting in verse 9, says this. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy. Second thing Paul wants to draw your attention to is just praying for others' maturity. Praying for others' maturity. And in here, he's going to have this little structure. He's going to start with a passive verb. We're going to talk about passive verbs in just a minute. So if you're a grammar nerd, get fired up. And then he's going to talk about the knowledge of God's will and the knowledge of God and end 
with another passive verb. So get fired up, all right? So do we have any grammar, like grammar teachers in here? One back here. Anybody else taking, teaching English? I'm just figuring out who I'm going to get judged or get corrected by after here. Okay. Um, he's going to start with a passive verb. And remember, he's just come out of a section talking about the gospel and justification where God has done everything for you. Now, in chapters 2, chapter 3, God's going to start commanding you to do things. I think there's like four commands in chapter 2. And in chapter 3, there's like 15 commands. But right now, he is focused on what God is doing to you, not just through the gospel, but what is God going to do to you and through you. All right, so let's talk about passive verbs really quick. All right, so um, the definition of a passive verb, just to make it super simple, is the subject in your sentence does not perform the action. The subject in your sentence does not perform the action. So let me give you an example. We have any Torchies fans here? Torchies tacos? Okay. Um, I'm married to a fuzzies girl, so I have to go like scratch that itch with other bros. Um, (laughs) But my desert island food, just give me torchies, chips, and queso, okay? So that's going to set everything up, keep a couple of amens out there and preach. Let's go. All right, let's get back to passive verbs. Okay, so here's the example with my, my torchies example, right? Torchies, chips, and queso was eaten by Rob Berry. Sounds so good. Why? Because the subject did not eat the chips. Torchies, chips, and queso did not eat themselves. Rod Berry ate them. So here we go. The subject is not the one performing the action. All right, so let's jump in here. So verse nine, so you heard from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled. So this is something God does to you. And this is something God does for you. So what is he filling you with? Here we go. With the knowledge of his will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Let me just stop there. So the first thing that God wants to fill you with is his will, a knowledge of his will. So let me ask you another question, a little deeper than torchies, okay? When you think about the will of God, or the question, what is the will of God, What pops in your mind? Don't say it. What pops in your mind when you think about the will of God? For most of us, it's some variation of, Lord, should I go left or should I go right? Right? To our young adults here, um, hey, should I marry this girl or should I marry that girl? Well, first of all, ask them on a date, okay? But what should should I take this job or should I take that job? And here's what the Lord wants you to understand. The gospel, how you become declared righteous is extremely narrow. It's like a hole in one, to use a golf illustration. I'm the the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. There is one way to be reconciled to the Father. Now, when it comes to his will, if you know that, and you're reconciled with a God that loves you, and he's like all-powerful, and he can produce anything for you, then what does it mean to be filled with the knowledge of his will? It means believers, we can rest. We think of typically the will of God like a bullseye. Like if I don't hit that thing square, I'm out of God's will. And he's like, no, man, you're reconciled to me. There is a big fairway that you can hit that golf ball on. 
Should you marry that girl? Is that a godly girl? Right, is that one too? Great, pick one and marry them. That's how God, man, it is a wide, fair way. And if we know him, if we can see Jesus clearly, we can walk in him freely there. And look, there are other parts of scripture that are like, if you're in, I'm not a golfer, so if I mess up here, just give me a mulligan, I guess. But there's, a, there's the rough, right, which is outside of the fairway, which is like wisdom. It's not a black or white thing in God's word. You can hit your ball there and still get out. Okay, great. And then there's the out of bounds. That's when God says specifically, don't do this and you do this. But if you are reconciled to God, knowing the wisdom of God, I mean, filled with him is like, Lord, you're for me. We have a wide fairway to hit the ball in and to operate in. But it doesn't just start, stop there. He continues to pray here. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So what does it mean to be, to increase in the knowledge of God? That's a little different than knowing his will, but it, it is tied together. So um, if, you've, if you're married in here and you're a woman, I want you to think about if all your spouse knew about you was like your life map like your fact sheet. Hey, I know when her birthday is. Hey, I know where she was born. Hey, I know. Like, if that was your definition of knowing your spouse, your wife would be like, uh, you don't know me. See, your wife, husbands, wants you to know what makes them tick. What do they love? What, like, grows their affection? Like, what's that small gift they love it if you pick up on the way home? See, knowing facts about your spouse is not the same thing as just knowing your spouse. And men, know your wife's birthday, okay? In the same way, look, knowing God is more than just passing a test on orthodoxy or being able to take a Bible quiz. Look, learn your Bible, learn theology. But knowing God is about knowing what makes God's heart tick. You can look through all the laws in the Old Testament. If you know the laws, you can know the heart of the lawgiver. So God wants you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. He wants you to know him in this last passive verb, be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance, patience, and joy. How do you know God? There was something he does, but if you want to know God, what he's like, remember what David said last week, just go look at Jesus. Go read the gospels. And if you want to know what God's like, study Jesus's life. So why is Paul asking his people here to pray for maturity? To pray for knowledge, passive verbs, all these things. Well, because there's another heresy that is kind of raising its head in this church. Let me read from um, chapter 2, verse 4. It says this, I say this in order that no one would delude you with plausible arguments. Think about what he's saying here. It's like, man, people are presenting really good arguments. And they're deluding you. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive 
by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. City Bridge member, how do you not be taken captive by really good arguments? How do you not get deluded? What's the antidote for that? No one wants to be taken captive. Well, the antidote is knowing God. If you know God and know his will, you're not going to be taken captive. And so let me just tie up this section with, listen, any religion in the world, and frankly, any, um, I was going to use the word cult, but any spinoff that looks Christian but is not Christian, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness sound, can sound Christian. It's not. And if you've had someone knock on your door, you know there are plausible arguments there. And I'm telling you, everything, every religious spinoff that is not Christian comes down to one of two things. Who is God in Jesus Christ or what is the gospel? And if you know those two things where Paul wants to pray that into you, pray it into Rob Berry, you will not be taken captive. Finally, Paul in verse 12 says this. He says, giving thanks, back to the thanksgiving, to the Father who has qualified you to share the inheritance of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Last thing Paul wants to draw our attention to, the last point is that he wants you to thank God for a gospel reality. Thank God for a gospel reality. So we'll just have some fun here. Giving thanks to the father, Here he goes. Here's his first clause. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and lights? Friends, you have not qualified yourself to share in the inheritance of saints of light. That is something God has done to you and for you. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. You didn't deliver squat. Rob Berry didn't deliver anything. God has delivered us. He is the one that has done the work for us and on our behalf and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. You may know the theme by now. You didn't transfer yourself anywhere outside of making the choice to sin. In whom we have redemption. Friends, we don't have redemption in ourselves. We have redemption in a person. That person's name is Jesus, the son, in whom we have the forgiveness of sins. See, your new reality is you have a new jersey on. And that jersey is Jesus. And that jersey you got because of the gospel. And if you keep your eyes fixed on the gospel, it will produce everything that your roommate wants it to produce in you. Faith, hope, and love. And if you have your eyes fixed on God himself 
and understand who he is, you will not be taken captive. So the application is super simple this morning. Um, I actually started doing this this week. And I know it sounds like, man, that's a really simple application. Try doing it. Which is this week, if you're in a community group, I want you to take turns praying for those members in your community group this prayer. Because I don't pray like this. I don't know how you guys pray, but it's usually like, hey, Lord, will you make this happen? Lord, will you do this for this person? Lord, thank you for this. I'm not praying that God would increase maturity. And so City Bridge, this week, pray specifically for people that their knowledge of God's will would increase and the knowledge of God himself would increase. Second, find things to celebrate. Paul starts and ends with thanksgiving because he's seen faith, hope, and love. I would just strongly encourage you this week, find something that somebody has done that demonstrates faith, hope, and love and celebrate it with them. That could be over a text. Hey, parking team, I saw you out there, man. I don't know how many layers of clothes you had on there, but man, thank you. Thank you. Pray and celebrate. Friend, Paul wants to remind us we have been given a new jersey to wear. It's Team Jesus. That jersey is a result of the gospel. You have a new owner. His name is Jesus. And you live in a new city that is called the kingdom of light and the kingdom of the sun. You didn't die for your sins. Jesus did. You didn't transfer yourself. Jesus did. And you don't have to add anything else to that. You can rest in the finished work of Jesus. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.